Friday, May 31st, 2019 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week, girl power at Senator Ernst Roast and Ride, a special session, a heartfelt endorsement, and King, King Town Hall meetings or campaign appearances. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. With me today are Brett Hayworth with the Sioux City Journal. Good morning, Brett. Good morning. Ed Tibbetts of the Quad City Times. Good morning, Ed. Morning, James. And Aaron Murphy, Lee Newspaper State House Bureau Chief. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, James. You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. First up, revving up for the roast and ride, Senator Joni Ernst announced the former United Nations Ambassador Nikki Haley will be her guest at the June 15th roast and ride. Aaron, uh, you broke that story. Any word on when Haley will be kicking off her presidential campaign for 2020 or 2024? Uh, June 15th at the Roasting Ride, right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, She won't make it official, but that's, um, like we've said a million times, nobody comes to Iowa by accident. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting... um, question or thought uh, process, uh, um, she's certainly not going to uh, primary President Trump. I think there was a rumor about that a little while back, but that uh, doesn't seem to be the, the case. But, um, you know, she could be very well um, thinking big picture and long term and, and um, um, laying some groundwork uh, for a potential run in 2024 um so you know she can come here and say she's just here to help out her good friend joni ernst get reelected. um all the while reaping the benefits of um um, getting in front of iowa um staunch republican voters and and supporters and and um um, getting a chance to make an impression with them um in case she does decide to come back and in four years in a in a in a more presidential campaign capacity it seems like nikki haley has been sort of out of the limelight lately but uh when she was um, uh, ambassador she seemed quite popular uh, among republicans and um you know even i guess with some democrats they they seemed to think she was respected her the job she was doing as ambassador um is this maybe Senator Ernst's attempt to uh, put a different face on the Republican Party than the face that, that we've been used to seeing for the past, uh, what, three years? Um, yeah, maybe. Uh, and, and by that, do you mean uh, old and white? Um, uh, uh, you know, it's uh, it's um, a chance to, to go a little different route, uh, you know, in the past um, – it, it's been, you know, the president, the vice president, um, and the very first one where it was the presidential candidates. Um, um, this is kind of a, a different type of uh, speaker. And it's also, and, and, and I don't know if this is intentional or not, but the the, um, um, the Ernst campaign is, has made it clear that this event this year is being treated as the um, kind of the, the unofficial kickoff to her reelection campaign. So, um, maybe there's an effort to not have too much of the spotlight taken off of Senator Ernst at this year's event. Um, so instead of bringing in someone like the president or vice president, you bring in 
someone like Nikki Haley, who's popular, as you noted, and, and well-known, um, but but maybe doesn't take as much of the, the focus off of Jenny Ernst as, as some of those other uh, types would. Mm-hmm. I mean, there had been some discussion that without the president or vice president or, or you know, uh, a six pack of candidates or something like that. The the program mm-hmm. was a little ho hum this year. Uh, adding Haley seems to uh, sort of amp it up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think that's right. I think you know, up until this point, and and not knowing for sure whether we were even going to happen. You know, that the Ernst team didn't say even whether there would be another keynote speaker ahead of this. So so mm-hmm. I I, I kind of wondered. You know, boy, that 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 seems to be a, a real risk going into that without at least someone. So, I, so I think um, someone like Nikki Haley does maybe th- thread that needle, gives people um, someone interesting to to want to come see, um, while still being able to make the the, the program um, as a whole about about Joni Ernst and her reelection. Sure, sure. All right, sticking with the election theme, um, we've been talking about the developing congressional races the past couple of weeks. Ed, uh, this week, Representative Dave Loebsack announced his endorsement of former state Senator Rita Hart for his job. Um, does that sort of officially clear the Democratic field? Well, I think it, it goes a ways toward it. Um, uh, and frankly, I was a bit surprised at the uh, endorsement and that it came this soon, but um uh, you know, others have sort of before that taken themselves out of the race, and it could be that they knew this was coming. Um, I, frankly, I've said this before. I, I've kind of expected that we'd see a big field of candidates in both parties for uh, for this post. And while that seems to be looking less and less likely, I still wouldn't be surprised to see a contested primary. Um, Rita Hart's a good fit for the district, uh, and uh, I, I think that uh, there are Democrats out there um, who – who, who want to win and who see Rita Hart as uh, uh, as, as their best bet to do it. But I also think there are, are uh, people in the more progressive wing of the party who might be thinking it over. So I wouldn't be surprised to, uh, to see uh, a challenge from the left. I have no names to offer or anything like that, but it just seems like, you know, uh, mm-hmm. it seems hard to believe that this rare opportunity would turn into a coronation. Yeah. And I mean, you know, one of the, the criticisms of Dave Loebsack was that he wasn't progressive enough, that he, um, you know, was too, I don't know if you want to say middle of the road, but not progressive enough. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I, I agree with you, Ed, that it seems unlikely that um, progressives would pass up a chance to uh, participate in, in a primary. And uh, uh, these opportunities just don't come along that often. So uh, it seems like you have to jump at, at the opportunities as they come along. Yeah, and I would note that coronations tend – well, uh, coronations sometimes are not a good thing. Um, Bruce Braley, 2014, is a, uh, uh, is a perfect example. I, I happen to think that um, pr- uh, contested primaries are a good thing as long as they don't turn into bloodbaths. Uh, blood I think they're valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And uh, – uh, I also was struck, like you said, by the timing of this uh, endorsement coming as early as it did. Um, and, and I'm wondering, do you think Dave Lobsack has more influence on his way out of office, uh, sort of more influence on the party than he has in the past? Um, he really, I can't recall him exercising uh, sort of congressional privilege in 
you know, directing party and uh, directing elections in the past, but now he's uh, certainly with this endorsement, it seems like he's uh, exercising his influence. Well, Lobsack has always been very cautious um, politically uh, and, and with his uh, with his votes. Uh, I think that uh, he he was very cautious before uh, he was the only Democrat in the uh, state's delegation, um, maybe less so after that. Um, now, probably less so now that he's retiring. Um, so, uh, you know, but, but, you know, in answer to the question about whether he's more influential, yeah, I'd say by virtue of the fact he's the only Democrat in the uh, congressional delegation, I'd say the answer is yes. Uh, but as we've noted, um, there are Democrats on Lobsack's left flank that haven't always been happy with him, um, his votes on the environment, sometimes on health care and foreign policy. Uh, but, yeah, I'd say by and large he's more influential than he started, sure. Mm-hmm. And he's on a high note, I guess. That's always the best way to be, <laughs> going out and <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, <clears throat> Iowa lawmakers uh, suffered some something of a defeat this week when uh, Governor Kim Reynolds vetoed a proposed expansion of Iowa's medical marijuana law. Democrats are calling for a special session to override that. Uh, Aaron, uh, the vote in the House and the Senate, 96-3 in the House, 40-7 to in the Senate, would suggest that the votes are there to override this. But uh, it appears that the majority of Republicans are not interested in a special session to override the veto, uh, Kim Reynolds' veto. Um, thoughts on, on that? Uh, is, is this just party unity, or what, what should we make here? Yeah, I don't think there's any other way to, to view that, um, given the numbers that you listed in those original votes, other than that this is a, a political slash party calculation. I mean, I mean, as you noted, 96 to 3 and 40 to 7, um, those are pretty convincing votes, easily uh, clear of the two-thirds um, threshold that would be needed to override um, if everybody were to vote the same way. But... Um, politically speaking, a vote for a bill and a vote to override a veto on a bill um, are not the same. Um, there's a little more weight to the latter, and, and especially in this case where you would have um, uh, members of the party vetoing um, one of their own, um, that's going to factor into that and, and why it wasn't surprising to me to hear that the, that there wasn't a stomach amongst legislative Republicans um, uh, to do that. Uh, folks are free to draw their own opinions on on that and, and whether they should be and um, whether that means a lack of political courage or any of that, that that's up to um, folks to decide on their own. Um, but it is uh, uh, worth noting that it's 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 not a one-to-one comparison to say um, that, uh, well, they voted this way for the bill. Um, why wouldn't they just vote the same way to override a veto? That The, the, the political reality uh, is, is just different. Um, um, so, so it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, uh, what they come back with next year and if they, if they try to tackle this again and, and maybe <laughs> – I don't know. Uh, just crazy thought off the top of my head here. Maybe it's something they don't do in the last two days of the session, and, and maybe <laughs> work on it from uh, to, to the start. So, 
they can come together with a plan that uh, everybody can support. Maybe maybe they'll learn something from this experience. Is what you're saying? Oh gosh, that sounds so sinfully hopeful. And you're sitting there on the Iowa-Illinois fault line, and and just across the river, the Illinois legislature is looking at expanding access to marijuana, and I don't know, maybe they've already taken action on that, I'm not sure, but um, is this a case of just because everyone else is doing it, Iowa should too, that uh, maybe this isn't the the time to take your mother's advice and and not jump off the cliff if everybody else is doing it? (laughs) Well, I, I don't think the Governor Reynolds or Republican lawmakers will, will move ahead on that basis. Um, I, you know, I, I think the governor's veto is simply a reflection um, that Iowa's a slow-moving state. We're not prone to taking chances. Um, I, I think that that explains a lot about why Iowa has moved the way that it has at a snail's pace uh, on medical marijuana. Uh, now, um, you know, at least for those of us over here, as you know, the veto um, has less effect. Um, if Illinois goes ahead and passes recreational marijuana, the Senate's approved it. Um, last I heard, the House hadn't yet. I, they're on the last day of what's supposed to be their uh, spring session. Uh, and, and I believe they gaveled in at nine, uh, but I've not heard whether they've moved on, on that yet. But if it goes forward, um, yeah, you know, people in Scott County can just cross the river and purchase marijuana, albeit in smaller amounts than, than native Illinois. And so what Governor Reynolds um, has done um, uh, would would likely uh, be less impactful over here than 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 somewhere else in the uh, uh, you know in the state. Um, as to the you know subject about you know why uh, uh, why lawmakers aren't in the, in the Republican Party aren't aren't willing to move uh, and you know against the governor's veto even with these lopsided margins. You know I think Aaron's exactly right. It's just. Uh, they just aren't willing to throw it back in the governor's face by that, uh, like that, which mm-hmm. makes me wonder how committed they really are uh, to moving forward on this. That's a good question. And, and I guess another question I had is, what does this say about Reynolds' style of leadership if she vetoes a bill that got that kind of support from her own party? Um, you know, is there a lack of communication with the legislative leaders or... Um, or maybe uh, <laughs> she didn't make herself clear uh, b- before they acted on the bill. Um, it, it, I mean, it seems like, uh, and Aaron, you touched on this a little bit, that uh, maybe they'll do something before the last two days of the session. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I throw this out to either Aaron or Ed there. You know, I mean, does it say something about uh, the her leadership style? that uh, a bill that got, uh, you know, what, uh, 96 votes in the House and 40 in the Senate, and she vetoes it? Um, I'll, I'll say that it, it certainly raises questions, some of which you, you noted there, that are fair. And, and, and to be honest, I don't know the answers to those. Um, um, maybe we can bring them up at the next uh, weekly press conference the governor has. <laughs> um, but the... You know, what, what was the level of discussion um, between leaders um, as that bill was being crafted? You know, how much um, communication was there between 
um, leaders and, and the governor's office um, um, was um, was the governor's office involved in 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 those discussions and 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 the bill as it was being crafted at the end there uh, and I think that gets back to as as I touched on before the way this was going together at the end it's entirely possible that they weren't just because at that point in the session so many things are happening so many things are going on it's possible that that wasn't part of a well rounded discussion with legislative leaders and the governor's office because of everything else that was going going on too and 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 that that falls at the feet of everybody not just the uh governor's office and and there was you know there there was one point during this whole thing where house members had already taken their vote and then the next day there was confusion over the way the bill was described to them and they they you know there was a question of whether the state board that oversees this program you know agreed with the way that it was described during house debate by house republicans so um it just i think it's again i'll fall back to at the end of the day this was a, a good example of um probably not the best way to draft such significant legislation and um and and hopefully if anything that is the lesson learned and, and that um this isn't if they do do it again next year this isn't something that's cobbled together in the last few days so that if a bill is sent to the governor's desk especially again with wide bipartisan support that it's not something that becomes a a, a veto that upsets a lot of people again James, I just add one other thing, not specifically on this question, but if Illinois does move forward, that makes it, I think, the 11th state uh, to approve of recreational marijuana. And while, as I said earlier, I don't think that um, just because everyone else is doing it, that Iowa will move forward, I do think it will um, put added pressure uh, on uh, on the governor and on state lawmakers uh, to do something more than just stand still and rely on the advisory board, uh, a very cautious advisory board on this. I think there will be more pressure. Well, it's interesting, too, that, um, you know, there are so many bills that come up, and one of the justifications for either doing it or not doing it is because of the way it impacts the border communities, the Davenports, the Sioux Cities, uh, you know, the Council Bluffs, uh, Dubuque, those those cities that are on the border with another state where, the law is different. And so we'll have another situation where the people in the Quad Cities and, and Dubuque may be saying, hey, we need to change our law because everybody's, you know, we're missing out on the opportunity to sell uh, recreational marijuana. Uh, well, and, <laughs> it's gonna, and, and, well, and go not, ahead. Just, uh, uh, not just uh, people in Scott County, uh, how many people who, uh, who have serious health problems and who need, need relief, who live in Cedar Rapids or in Waterloo, uh, are going to be willing to drive um, a couple hours. Um, that doesn't mm-hmm. seem to me like a big investment of time if you're in pain. Right. Good point. Good point. Aaron, I wanted to come back to you. The, there have been some suggestions that this, this veto was a, a gift or sort of a, a payment to Governor Reynolds' ally, House Speaker Linda Upmeyer, who has not been a champion uh, of um, expanded uh, medical marijuana use. Do you think the the fix was in from the beginning? Yeah, I mean that's interesting, and and what you said is absolutely accurate, and 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 uh, has been from the start with this program that Speaker Upmeyer um, 
has been, I think it's fair to say, at the very least, to say cautious about uh, the medical cannabis program to begin with and, and, and any expansion of it. Um, so, so, so I suppose that's, that's possible, to be honest. I hadn't um, heard that um, before, but, but knowing just the, the lay of the land, that's entirely possible. And, and I guess we'll know, we'll have more evidence to that next year. Uh, right when they come back, and we know there's enough legislators in both parties um, who will want to work on this again, um, mm-hmm. and so we'll have more evidence next year, you know, to, to see what happens, and and you know whether they get an expansion done again, whether it's similar to what they tried this year, or or if it's much more scaled back to the point where again advocates will say, as they do now, that it's just not a strong enough program to make it effective for, for many, many people who could otherwise use it. Um, you know, if, if it's something really limited that doesn't really, you know, that sounds good, but doesn't really improve, improve the program in any meaningful way, then we'll have, we'll have some more evidence of that. Right. It's going to be interesting too, because there seemed to be much more in the Senate. There was more support from leadership to move, uh, I guess farther faster than we saw in the House. So it'll be in- interesting to watch how that plays out between the two chambers. Uh, and yeah, that's, maybe that's, that. That's a really good point. Sorry, sorry, I was just gonna tack onto that. That's a really good point. It wasn't just Brad Zahn's bill this year. You know, you know, Jack Whitford and Charles Snyder were um, in leadership. Were on board with it this year too. And and that is a change from years past, especially for an expansion uh, as significant as this one would have been. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on that. And at the same time, we'll keep an eye on developments in Iowa's 4th District. Um, the 39 Steps is an adventure novel later adop- adapted as a movie by Alfred Hitchcock featuring an action hero with a stiff upper lip and a knack of getting himself out of sticky situations. No, we're not talking about Steve King. However, the 4th District Congressman is on a 39 town hall meeting tour of his district. Brett, you've been following the congressman's progression through the district, attended some of those meetings. What's, what's your takeaway from these meetings? Is this uh, just a congressman doing constituent service, or does this seem more like uh, part of a campaign to win his party's nomination for another term? Yeah, I, I'll, I'll go right to that here in just a second. But I wanted to, to lead off with um, uh, letting people know that we are – we at the journal are writing a, a weekend piece, um, kind of summarizing where the field all kind of stands. Uh, one year, we're essentially a year from the June 2020 uh, Republican primary. That's looking to be a very interesting vote. Um, and before I get into the Republican part of it, I, I did want to say, and this will be in with that um, uh, print, and wanted to share it here on the podcast as well. As part of that, I caught up with J.D. Schulten. Um, for the piece to give a little bit of the dem- democratic flavor. Um, and of course he's the, he's a Sioux city Democrat who narrowly lost to King last year. And, and people have wondered ever since if he would run again and over several weeks and months here this spring, we haven't got a definitive answer for him and, 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 and checking in with, with Schulten yesterday. Um, um, he told me that he's definitely, um, considering run, running for the house again. He's definitely also considering running for the U S Senate, the seat that Joni Ernst is holding. And, um, I, I guess the slight new piece of news is that at this point, he's more likely than not to run 
for at least one of for, for one of those two. So more likely than not to run um, at this point. And then we'll obviously we'll know about that uh, a final decision on that. I would would say you know and fairly soon here. Um, Sorry, back to your question. And uh, you know, of course, the, these events, um, James, they're they're officially their town hall meetings. They're you know set up through his congressional office as ways to hear out constituents on issues and for him to you know share his stance on issues. And uh, one thing that I think it's worth pointing out is for all the time that King made sure that he didn't hold town halls in 2017 and 2018, um, he was uh, he had a, a fear that protesters were going to disrupt them. Um, these have been very well attended as they played out, and um, a lot of times it's it's Republicans, uh, and the ones that I've I've seen personally, that it's a lot of Republicans who have said, you know, you go, Steve, and you know, there's been very few dissenting questions. So, um, in these in these town halls, you know, he has all the trappings of his office. He has staffers who help these play out, and and they get a lot of free media. Um, and Within these events, he gets to talk about you know the votes he's done and his his actions to serve constituents and to remind people that um, he served them a lot over the years. So um, and, and again, as far as the free media, the, there was one this week in um, a couple of days ago in Hornick, uh, which was a site of flooding here in Woodbury County, and he got extensive um, Sioux City media coverage, all the TV stations and you know, our paper and a few other smaller papers so um you know just a lot of free media that that uh his challengers who are uh randy feenstra and jeremy taylor and brett richards um that they don't get and it just one more thought about that is um uh, regarding the flooding, um, Taylor is is uh, the former state senator who is uh, now a Woodbury County supervisor who lives in Sioux City. When the flooding happened um, here in March, Taylor was at an event that I covered with all kinds of um, law enforcement and emergency type officials, and and he spoke on 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 a panel of what was what was being done to get you know, relief, to get help to, to all the, the people in this flooded out town of Hornick where they were actually evacuated. And um, so, you know, he could could speak and, and, you know, as he's out on the camping trail, he can say, well, you know, I, I was, you know, boots on the ground, so to speak, is a phrase that you sometimes hear. And mm-hmm. you know, I was highly involved. King at Hornick, when he was at Hornick the other day, then he's citing all these specific calls that he's made to federal officials about with FEMA trying to get people up and such. And so you know, I don't know how Republicans would see whether one man's Taylor or or um, or King's efforts as, as more definitive with FEMA, but but um, that that is one way where he has a, the power of his office and you know has connections with with a lot of key officials to work in people's sure. lives. It, it sounds like, from what you're saying, Brett, that these meetings, people aren't showing dissatisfaction with King, that that there's not much indication that they're going to abandon him in a primary. Right. Yeah, I, I would say um, if, if you just gauge in what, what you're hearing there, you know, if, if that's representative of the district as a whole. And, and, and I have noticed that some of these people that are coming are, are county party type officials that, you know, have been longtime Republicans. But just in the questions that you're getting, it's it's a lot of uh, support and it, it's very few, um, you know, very few dissenting type voices at all. Mm-hmm. 
And you mentioned Jeremy Taylor, and I see that uh, he's being deployed uh, with the National Guard to, I think it's Romania, um, for three weeks. Uh, what what will King do to try and top that? Can he do anything? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I, I guess the first thing is King is, isn't a member of, of the military branch, so I guess he doesn't have an, any analogous thing. But uh, the first thing, <laughs> the first thing I guess that comes to mind is, is maybe pay a uh, visit to the Mexican border. Um, you know, that's that's something. King's gone to the to the Mexican border. I, I'd say at least six, seven times, if I remember. And you know, if he were to take a a step like that publicly to to um it would be reminding people of you know this is a key issue for him he, he's always had a hardline sure. stance on immigration and and that's always been that's been a winning issue for him um in iowa in this part of iowa for three years and years king said he, he's trying to win back his committee assignments is there any evidence of that or any likelihood that his time out is over yeah um not, nothing definitive, certainly on that. Um, I've heard, um, again, citing back to town halls. I, I've heard people. Um, uh, when, when, I'm sorry, back in Lyon County, one of the first ones that he had back in January, I had, King asked people to pray for him to get with mm-hmm. Kevin McCarthy was the leader who stripped him of those committee assignments for his his comments in the New York Times and and he up there he uh notably asked people to pray for McCarthy to get his his um uh committee assignments back and and this week at Hornick um he was asked, asked about the committees again and and this time he said there was the this uh core group of supporters republican supporters who they weren't asked by him but they're that they're willing to work to get him back on the on the committees and um you know, there was no specificity that he shared on that, so it's it's hard to assess if that's more more than some of his you know longtime conservative friends, and I don't know specific names, but it you know it could be like mm-hmm. along the lines of like somebody like Louis Gohmert, who's been a longtime supporter of King, you know, sure. someone like sure. people like that saying they want to help out, that they're you know doing things to pressure McCarthy, but you know, for all we know, McCarthy might be saying telling them if if they are doing this sort of back back talking um you know to drop it and and for for what we know publicly for what we know publicly the last time that mccarthy spoke to this you know he said he had no plans to to restore king to the committees okay all right we'll leave it there and go ahead uh this is ed i was just um wondering what the odds are that if king were to be successful in his primary if those uh committee assignments might uh magically reappear It's a good question, <laughs> and they might. Like in the middle of the year before, in the middle of the year before, before, well, the, like the last six months of the year. Is that in what you're saying? In a general election. In a general election. Yeah. Just a question. Wow. Yeah. 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 That there would be some a political uh, result from that. Definitely. I mean, I mean, that would, yeah, that would throw a very interesting dynamic in the, the last few months of that campaign. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if that happens, of course, we'll talk about it on a future edition of On Iowa Politics. I hope you've enjoyed this uh, edition, and thanks for listening. If you like the show, tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher. Fan mail may be sent to oniowapolitics at gmail.com. And you can find us every week on the homepages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Imperfect will take us out. If you know a band or talented Iowa musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and remember to follow us on Twitter and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. For Ed, 
Brett, Aaron, and our producer, Stephen. I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. When they're super fresh, small place, big dreams on the road to success. Mike and the crew, the cause, collective, Midwest indigenous MCs respected. From near to far here, we revere the art, taking charge of the hip-hop scene so we can raise the bar. They're faking hard, we keep it really, really real, acting like you don't know. Catch my nippy little spiel, moving swiftly on your heels, but the fact is I'm laughing you. Cause of your half-stepping attitude Melodramatic crews who never had a clue Chuckle with a bad excuse But really, I ain't that amused Get down with M-I-C H-A-N-D Get down with M-I-C H-A-N-D Get down with M-I-C H-A-N-D Now throw your hands in the air And come along with me Get down with M-I-C H-A-N-D Get down with M-I-C H-A-N-D Get out with M-I-C H-A-N-D Then throw your hands in the air And sing along with me uh. Yeah Right hand, check it out, y'all Cedar Rapids Stands up Hip-hop, right under your nose Keep me on MySpace I'm old school, I don't fuck with that Facebook shit Peace out Perfect